No, it's just you, actually. It's just me tonight? Yep. Okay. That's fine with me. I uh, I think I could be pretty good doing this. Yeah? Yeah. I talk to myself quite a lot, you know. All right. Yeah. I used to think it was weird when I was growing up that, like, I sometimes I could hear my mom and dad, like, mumbling to themselves or just saying words. Mm-hmm. And then I realized just, like, you just you just talk to yourself. Yeah. Like, you just do. Yeah, I know. You know? I always felt really weird about it. Yeah. Until I realized that everybody does. Everybody does it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, sometimes, most of the times, I will absolutely forget what I'm doing. And so I will stop and say, Hannah, what are you doing? Like, I'm sure you hear me say that all the time. Like, if I'm cooking dinner or something, I forget what the next step is. And I just, I have to freeze, pause, and then I have to tell myself, hey, it's okay. Do you have, like, full-blown conversations with yourself? Um, Like, arguments? (laughs) No, not anymore. Um, But Mm. that's why I got Mm. pets, Mm -hmm. because then it doesn't seem like I am being um that ridiculous but no i um i always i think it's interesting like that line between like okay well when do you start to answer back do you do you have full-blown conversations constantly okay no it's a nightly occurrence so okay Mm -hmm. i probably wouldn't worry about too much oh no Um, that's that's fine yeah yeah i mean one voice is fine two voices there's a few yeah oh but okay you know we have a really a nice fun filled episode for you today. <laughs> so let you know, I feel like we should just jump right into it. You yeah, know? let's maybe just um stop with this mm-hmm. and go to the, the next mm-hmm. the next thing. We should just sideline the therapy mm-hmm. and just keep let's keep just repressing keep... everything. Yes, I love repression. Great. Great. Ready? I'm all set. So I'm going to be doing something a little different today. So today <laughs> is my, wait, no, you're starting. So today's my turn to start. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't cracked off my frusky yet, so. Oh, boy. That's how you know it's about to get serious, because I'm putting my full attention into this. That is never a good thing, usually. No. So. But it is today. Someone's about to get yelled at. You know what, baby? Probably <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite pastime, yelling at Chusty. Whoa. Oh, whoa. All right. So um, I almost choked to death on a marshmallow, a jumbo marshmallow in the sixth grade. It was sixth grade biology. We were going to do an experiment, experiment where we made cells out of food, and I brought jumbo marshmallows in to represent the nucleus. Are you following so far? Uh, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Marshmallow, mm-hmm. science class, mm-hmm. cell makes sense great yeah so while we were building our cells we were given instructions not to eat anything ah i see where the problem may come up i mean it makes sense but also at the same time how dare you right how are you supposed to tell how old are you in sixth grade 11 10 or 11 right why would you ask me that well, because I'm saying, if you, you should are be, uh, ten or eleven, yeah. if you're a teacher and you are telling 10, 11, your students, 12. yeah, if you're telling your students, all right, we're gonna make edible nuclei, oh. don't eat anything. Well, yeah. come on, ridiculous. Fair enough. Yeah. So again, we were given instructions not to eat anything, mm-hmm. but I was effing starving, mm-hmm. and I decided to swallow a jumble marshmallow whole. I started choking and panicked. I was so scared of getting in trouble for eating that damn marshmallow that I tried to act as normal as possible while I was literally choking. Somehow I managed to swallow the whole marshmallow 
and no one but my lab partner really noticed me struggling. Uh huh. When I was around five years old, I was in a car crash with my mom and my sister. I don't remember a single thing, just some blurry images. My mom and my sister were fine. My ear broke. I had scars in my head, my face, and my hands, but nothing really bad happened. At the same time, my dad and his business partner were going to a um, going to travel to Cuba, but came back because his cousin called him to tell him about our car crash. Mm-hmm. Well, the day that my dad was supposed to fly out, that plane went down and crashed off the coast of Miami. It was just not our turn to die. Uh, can I interrupt just a second? Sorry. Um, do you mind? Mm. No. No, please. Um, I will say that I don't know your dad to have ever gone to Cuba. Mm. So that tracks <laughs> based on what you've said. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I also don't know that he ever would have gone anyway mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with a business partner. No, in my father's line of work of truck driving, right. there's uh, uh-huh. you don't really do that. Uh-huh. Um, Illinois sometimes mm. he goes to Illinois, but mm-hmm. um, usually he drives to right. the places that he goes to. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Any, do you have any more questions? Uh, no. Honestly, I'm. Oh. You just. It's all good. You mm. solved every question I had. <laughs> Great episode so far. <laughs> so that's right, Justin. I wanted to confuse you because today we're going to be talking about the phenomena of a near-death experience. Yuck. So the stories that I got, those first two stories, were actually from a compilation from BuzzFeed. Mm. So the first story was from a user who uh, was by Alexis Barnhart. And the second was from user... Bill Clinton. Interesting uh, <laughs> how his father actually was going mm. to Cuba with a business partner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he got in a car accident with his sister and mom. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're just uh-huh. going to assume that Bill Clinton um That's the, the real Bill Clinton. Clinton. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No, not just a big fan. No. 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 <laughs> Fans? Come on. <laughs> so Justin, how much do you know about near death near death experiences? Uh, well, um Considering I've had one, mm. none, okay. nothing at okay. all, really. <laughs> okay. I want to take a pause there. I want to come back to you, but really quickly. Yeah. Besides knowing that my father would never, ever, ever travel to Cuba <laughs> without yeah. my mother. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Did you believe the first story, at least, was me? <sighs> Not really. Because really? I feel like you would have told me that. Interesting. If it, if it impacted you enough mm-hmm. to bring it up here. Uh-huh. I feel like that's something you would have told me already. That's really beautiful. There was this one time when I was in elementary school that um, someone dared me. I might have dared myself looking Most back likely, yeah. um, to eat a whole blueberry muffin in one bite. Uh-huh. Um, so what I did is I took the blueberry muffin. I sat mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. in the lunchroom. Yes. Yep. No, yep. I... Mm-hmm. To, uh, no judgment on this mm-hmm. one. Thank I've been you. there. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad it's not just me. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, I sat on it. Uh-huh. I put it in my mouth mm-hmm. and I tried to swallow it because I think I was showing off to, you know, all the people who thought an eight year old girl eating a blueberry muffin mm-hmm. in one bite. Literally everyone. Also, I had childhood obesity probably because of those, you know, lifestyles. Don't we all? Um, I just want to show off. But mm-hmm. yeah, I legitimately like it like got stuck in my um 
in my throat and no one helped me they were just like oh hannah you're so funny you ate a blueberry muffin in one bite i was like i'm dying okay but i was fine Mm -hmm. so but yeah good job knowing my dad didn't go to cuba well like that this feels like things i would have known (laughs) so yeah yeah do you want to talk about your experience you want to come back to that we come back to it okay cool so what I want to do really quickly is I'm going to talk about, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, what the science says about near-death experiences, mm-hmm. some possible explanations, and then I have a little bit of a longer story. The first two that I talked about were kind of, I don't want to say like lighter, because the first one was pretty light. It's yeah. pretty fluffy, you know. But, oh, um, <laughs> good one. <laughs> but the second one, like, that's awful. Like, mm-hmm. people probably died in that plane crash. Yeah. Um, But... I would just really love to get your thoughts on all of this. Mm-hmm. So, all right. You ready? Yeah. So, according to uh, the Wikipedia, the most wonderful source that there is, a near-death experience is a profound personal experience associated with death or impending death, mm-hmm. which researchers claim share similar characteristics. So, when you think about near-death experiences, you may think of, like, automatically, um, if, if you have your own near-death experience, um, or NDE, or uh, so many movies and TV shows have depicted it. Uh, a lot of books have talked about it. Um, so I'm assuming that you you probably do know about this. And first and foremost, if you've had an NDE or if someone that you know has had one, uh, I'm not trying to make light of it because I know that they can be incredibly terrifying things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also trying to realize that some people, like their NDE is almost choking on a marshmallow, which yeah. is still traumatizing. Yeah. Because you may not ever look at a marshmallow the same way. Right. But um, yeah. So just thinking about that. So when positive, um, it's when positive experiences um, that take you away from your reality, it's almost like a shift in the way that you are perceiving your surroundings. So that was kind of a, a weird way to say this, but researchers and and just people in general kind of describe a near-death experience as you coming off of autopilot for Mm -hmm. only a mere few seconds in your life so you are just going think about this you're going about your day-to-day life as normal and throughout your life or throughout your day you may not have a lot of experiences that you get an adrenaline rush you get um you know your sense your senses are heightened those kind of things Mm -hmm. For my normal day, I sit in my computer, I play with the cats, and I yeah. eat food. Like, that's it. Yeah. But think about it. If you think about um, an NDE or really any type of experience where your heart kind of jumps a little bit, or if you've almost ever been in a car accident mm-hmm. or ever almost got hit by a car, again, these are big things, mm-hmm. um, your whole body feels it. Mm-hmm. You almost get this warm rush of like dissolution of just you were like you're separating yourself from your surroundings yeah yeah um some people may say that like time slows down um some people just have their own kind of characteristics of it but Mm -hmm. that in general is the big the big overlapping okay so um for some people uh they talk about NDEs as a scientific response or a physical response. And other people talk about it as a religious response. Um, your soul detaching from your body, but then deciding to come back in saying like, it's not your time to go yet. Um, some people believe in both. It really, d- it d- 
depends on the individual. Yeah. Um, but I just think that it's really interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I feel like not really surprisingly, Western near-death experiences are the most studied. Yeah. When someone in Western culture, I don't want to say someone, but a lot of really prominent examples, including um, Heaven Heaven is for Real book that was really popular. Mm-hmm. There was a movie, um, I think, a year or two back where like a girl fell through ice. And uh, I just remember that there was a really beautiful song in the Grammys that was saying about it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but NDEs, I feel like in Western culture are more they're more prevalent. They're more prevalent. Yes. Yeah. Um, many of these stories relate the sensation of floating up and viewing the scene around one's unconscious bodies, spending some time in a beautiful uh, otherworldly realm, meeting spiritual beings, some calling them angels, some calling them God, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. encountering long lost relatives or friends. Um, and many people who experience an NDE often describe it as more real than real life. Again, mm, kind of taking yeah. that moment to say like, okay, well, you are seeing yourself in that situation, mm-hmm. uh, which I just think is very interesting. I want to quickly talk about someone that I think is really fascinating. And that is Dr. Eben Alexander. I believe that's how you say his name. He's a neurosurgeon who taught and practiced at several prestigious ho- hospitals and medical schools. Um, it was Alexander who really upped the scientific stakes. So before what I'm about to talk about, his a lot of NDEs focus mostly on religious accounts. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dr. Alexander really wanted to focus on like what happened scientifically. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about why in a second. But. He studied his he studied his own medical charge charts and came to the conclusion that he was in such a deep coma during his own personal near-death experience, and his brain was so completely shut down that the only way to explain what he saw and what he felt was that his soul had indeed detached from his body and gone on to another world. So we'll come back to that in a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. So just uh, try try and keep that in mind. Okay. Okay. So now I want to talk about another kind of big case. And again, I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but... Um, it's good. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be talking about uh, an interview that occurred um, on the Today Show back in 2015. And this is the story of um, Anita... Morjani. So Anita Morjani is a public speaker who likes to share her story of what occurred to her. So this is just a quote. I'm just going to kind of read through this. This is a, an interview that she had with Maria Shriver again back in 2015. So um, in 2002, Morjani was uh, diagnosed with lymphoma, which is a pretty serious type of cancer. It doesn't have the highest. Um, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like it, fatality. it has a pretty high fatality rate. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Especially in, in childhood cancers. Um, so she was in 2002, she was losing her cancer battle uh, and she was down to 85 pounds Yikes. and was battling tumors from the base of her skull all the way down to her abdomen. Oh my gosh, seriously? Yeah. She slipped into a deep coma in February of 2006 after four years of struggling. It was then that she was pronounced dead and crossed over into what she believes is the afterlife. So Mm -hmm. she was legitimately pronounced dead after slipping into a coma. 
Okay. So this is a quote from her. She said, I felt as though I was above my body. It was like I had a 360 degree peripheral vision of the whole area around, but not just in the room where my body was, but beyond the room and beyond that room. According to Morjani, who um, did author a book calling Die to Be Dying to Be Me, she was reunited in that state with her late father, who told her to turn back. Quote, he said that I've gone as far as I can, and if I go any further, I won't be able to turn back. But I didn't want to turn back because it was so beautiful. It was just incredible because for the first time, all of my pain, all of my discomfort had gone. Mm-hmm. All the fear was gone. I just felt so incredible. And I felt as though I had enveloped in this in, in this feeling of just love, just unconditional love. So citing in an incredible clarity where everything started to make sense, she said she decided to return to her body because she believed it would heal very, very quickly. Hmm. And it did. Oh, man. After waking up, within four days, her tr- her tumors shrunk by over 70% and the doctors were shocked. Wow. She kept telling everyone, I know I'm, a- I'm going to be okay. I know it's not my time to die. So how do you feel about that one? That's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't really know how to explain that. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a lot. So um, I got one more for you if that's all right. Okay. So this is another sad one. It's always about kids getting sick. Well, yeah, that's the only <laughs> thing that's interesting to people. So diagnosed at age four with a chronic digestive disorder, eight-year-old Annabelle Beam experienced intense pain, intense pain and frequent hospital visits. Quote, she was always so sweet and gracious, her father Kevin told today. She wasn't making a big deal out of it, and she was suffering in silence. I told my mom, Mama, I want to die. I want to go to heaven with Jesus and where there is no more pain. I don't want to be in this much pain for the rest of my life. Um, and so I was... And so I was so committed to just giving up that sometimes whenever I couldn't sleep, I'd kind of try and figure out what would happen if I did die. Then I decided my mom would come with me. My dad would stay and watch my sisters. Annabelle's mother, Christy, refused to believe what she'd heard. I remember thinking, that's not what she said. She doesn't know anything about giving up. She's a fighter. Days later, Annabelle said she fell 30 feet from 30 feet from a tree branch that cracked while she was sitting on it with her sister Abby. She claims that after bumping her head three times on the way down and falling into a hollowed out base of the tree, she died and went to heaven. Mm. It was really bright, she said, and I sat on Jesus's lap and he told me, "Wherever the whenever the firefighters get you out, there will be nothing wrong with you." Um and I asked him if I could stay and he said, "No." I have plans you need to fulfill on earth that you cannot fulfill in heaven. A few days later, she told her family about the experience. She was very matter of fact, very, this is what happened. Here are the facts. And then she stopped talking and looked out the window for the rest of her trip. This is her mom. Mm -hmm. Now symptom free, Annabelle has gone from taking 10 daily medications to none. She fell 30 feet head first without any injuries or a simple scratch. She came out of that tree laters, or hours later, wet and muddy and with scratches. She's well. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. 
Uh, the tree, which toppled due to weather, remained in the Beam family front yard beside a cross Kevin carved father carved after the accident. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife, uh, who turned the story or turned the story into a book called Miracles from Heaven, said that um, that she has a purpose and that she is a vessel. Annabelle, who continues to climb trees, feels fortunate. She says, most kids aren't ever healed, she said. And sometimes I see the tree and I'm just so grateful and I'm just so happy. Okay. So there's that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up because I, I know that this is a, a definitely a big one. Um. But I just kind of want to see how your thoughts are, okay? Okay. Okay. So, in an attempt to bring it all together, I want to um, quickly just kind of talk about some of, like, the more, like, physical, um, uh, the more scientific explanations. Yeah. So... One thing that some scientists uh, may account to um, near-death experiences, in particular experiences where people like Annabelle, who she was a young girl, she fell from a tree and didn't get hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's another story about a woman. um, I don't remember what her name is, but she wrote wrote a book. Um, She was kayaking down in um latin america and she fell into the water was underwater for like five minutes should have drowned but was untouched so some doctors talk about a very rare but possible explanation that is a phenomena called uh, anesthesia awareness mm-hmm. so anesthesia awareness is oh yeah okay it's roughly, according to doctors, uh, roughly affects 1,000 patients, like, a year throughout the entire population of the world. Yeah. So, anesthesia, anesthesia awareness is this phenomenon that your body is, is in a state of complete relaxation. It is in a state of complete numbness where your body is almost in this like hyper sense of i don't want to just say awareness Mm -hmm. but you almost like you can't get hurt yeah another way to describe it is sometimes people wake up during their surgeries yeah and they know what's going on but they don't feel the pain Mm -hmm. so that's another way to describe it so so again if you think about it if you are going through a traumatic experience so let's say that i not to be graphic but let's say i walked outside and i got hit by a car Mm -hmm. if my body was somehow in such a uh an intense state of possible anesthesia awareness even though i'm not under anesthesia Mm -hmm. my body could be protecting itself through some sort of uh physical barrier that i am aware of everything that's going on Mm -hmm. yes i may feel the pain but it doesn't affect me as much as if that barrier was not invoked Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. It's it's kind of complicated, and I yeah. realize that. Um, but yeah. So there's that. Um, I think that my biggest thing is that I just found it really interesting. Um, that a lot of people, 
don't want to say everybody, but I feel like a lot of people, again, you've either had your own near-death experience or you know of someone who has had one. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think it's interesting that a lot of people write about their experiences and um, spread them. Um, but I think it's interesting. And I personally would really like to see more about like the science going into the anesthesia awareness and maybe like uh, the whole f- um, fight, flight, or freeze response that your body does. Mm-hmm. Like what truly is going on in a situation where, you know, you can almost come out of a situation completely unharmed. Um, yeah. 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 That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, uh, would you like to share yours at all? Well, I do want to say about um, the couple stories that you shared. Yeah. Um, they just felt like, I don't know. I mean, they were like the, per- well, in the first one, for sure, mm-hmm. she actually like died mm-hmm. and then came back. Yeah. Like she was pronounced dead by the doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's pretty wild. That one, I don't really know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second one, I, I'm just too big of a skeptic yeah. to even remotely consider that. Yeah. Because they're heavily Christian family, mm-hmm. and the mom seems a little overbearing, <laughs> putting out this story that everyone needs to hear. Yeah. And the little girl saw Jesus, and... It was very like, oh, happy ending. Let's, you know, yeah. let's all be so happy and all that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I have a weird theory that maybe on the way down, she did like actually get hit mm-hmm. or hurt bad enough to where, I don't know, maybe her brain was like, like flipped a switch and it was like mm. reset mm. on the on whatever's happening to you in your digestive whatever yeah i don't know i don't know because it's, it's was chronic and it didn't seem like it came from anything external yeah but of course there's no context so yeah. i don't know yeah i think it's interesting and and what i do think is is um it's interesting too is like I know I talked about these experiences where technically people said that they did die but there's tons of other near-death experiences like yeah there was one that I, I was reading about and this kid almost fell off a cliff and somehow his friend reached out at the last minute grabbed the back of a shirt and pulled mm-hmm. him back on yeah but still in that moment it's just like you you just you don't think no like your mind goes blank and you're like oh my gosh this is in front of me yeah it's like you know, I don't know if it's instinct yeah. or something more. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why um, I I love you and I love your opinions. And I think that we can have really constructive conversations um, about, about things that don't make sense. And yeah. that is the thing that I really like. Like I really enjoy having conversations with people who are really open-minded and they're like, okay, well, and I hate that it has to be either one or, or. like, especially yeah. in the situation, like it doesn't have to be just science or just religion. Like mm-hmm. I want to believe in the overlapping options. Yeah. 
Um, and at the same time, I love hearing some more of like the lighter stories as yeah, well. You yeah. know, I'm like, that's why I let off with the choking on a marshmallow thing. Cause yeah. again, you know, like it's, it counts. It's so simple though. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. I keep on taking it away from you. <laughs> You're fine. Do you have any? Um, I feel like I have way too many to like count. Um, I mean, I, I just try and think about like all of the times where like something, something could have gone wrong and something should have gone wrong. Um, but my biggest one is, uh, and you know, the story of course, but I was on an ATV with my oh, yeah. friend Katie when I was in ninth grade, I want to say we went up North and we were on an ATV that should not have had two people on it. And luckily we were both wearing helmets, but we were following her dad up this really um, steep hill and the left wheels of the ATV went into a huge crevice. And all I can remember is hearing her dad, Tom scream jump Mm -hmm. because what happened was, is that the ATV started to, and this is, I don't even know how, how heavy an atv is um it's pretty heavy let's see uh, about 700 pounds yeah. good so the atv started to turn it started to flip and then it rolled down the hill mm-hmm. so katie and i f- rolled down the hill the atv rolled on top of my head i felt the wheel hit my hem- helmet and my helmet actually got crushed a little bit and i brought instinctively i brought my arm up uh, my left arm to protect my head mm-hmm. and the wheel hit my head. Uh, we all thought my arm broke, but it didn't. And um, I just remember that. And like, that was terrifying. Yeah. But again, like I just think about like, well, what if I wasn't wearing a helmet? There's, yeah. there's, there's gotta be no freaking way mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have got more injured if I wasn't wearing a helmet. Yeah. So that's probably my biggest one. How about right. you? Um, I would say it's probably from when I was in Bailey's Mm -hmm. and we were doing the canoeing thing. Um, We were canoeing down this river um, on a study abroad trip. And there was a part of the river where there was like this really big tree of spiny bamboo that was like kind of reaching over like half of the river so as a class we were all like getting out of the river and walking down a little bit to get around it and there were so many people that had pulled off to the side with theirs that me and my partner didn't have a space to get on um so of course we're like madly trying to get off to the side so we don't run into it directly and have it hit us literally in the face um And then we ended up going like sideways Mm. to perpendicular to the flow of the river and it tipped us like, like the water was coming one way and it like tipped underneath us. So it tipped us toward the way the current was coming from, which was lucky because then it tipped the canoe up and like as a shield (laughs) against the spiny bamboo. So we didn't actually hit it. Um, but in that moment, it's like, you know, 
I could have got sucked right into the spiny bamboo and got completely impaled on spiny bamboo. Uh huh. And or I could have got like dragged underwater. Yes. You know, anything like that. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty crazy, but we were both fine. Yeah, I just remember you telling me that when you got back from your trip, and I was like, okay, well, we've been dating for like four months. Um, can you not ever yeah. leave me again? Thanks so much. Bye. Yep, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So wild it's awful well that was pretty good um yeah thank you it's definitely an interesting thing that i feel like not a lot of people openly talk about but it's something that pervades our society quite a bit yeah yeah i agree it's just one of those things where it's like i realized that i i didn't have a really good story because it's not something that has a conclusive answer yeah but like this is the kind of stuff I like to talk about at dinner parties with strangers, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's how you make the true friends. <laughs> yeah. So what you got for me today, big boy? So today, hmm. did a little clickety clack. Did you? And I found a really interesting story that I thought I would share with everybody. Um, all my information came from history.com and Britannica.com. Did it like the encyclopedia um and then the picture came from wikipedia so you know as i do i will uh cite them great thank you so i'm just gonna start this off i want to see when you pick up if you pick up and knowing me i won't we're gonna we're gonna reveal what we got going on here okay 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 so in July of 1518, the people of Strasbourg, now a city in France, were waking up in order to set up their stalls and carts for the market that morning. Fresh-baked bread, wild-caught fish, and ready-to-eat produce would soon line the streets. Sounds great. During the hustle and bustle of the exciting new day, people were talking and laughing, eating and drinking, singing and dancing. It was a beautiful day to be alive. Everyone seemingly enjoyed the day, packed up their stalls and newly earned items, and headed home for the evening. All but one. One person continued to enjoy the marketplace well through the night and into the next day when everyone started setting up again. When the sellers returned, they found a woman dancing around. Was she not here yesterday doing the same activity? They asked each other. It turned out... She'd been there for many days, dancing the entire time. How dare you? What? Oh, my gosh. I wrote that opening myself. Did you really? Yeah. Ah, that was so good. So, here we have the dancing plague yes. of 1518 in Strasbourg. Oh, I cannot wait. This is short, but wild. Yes. Okay, so the woman's name was given as Frau, mm. Mrs. Trophy. Great. Yeah. She stepped into the street and began dancing one day. She okay. seemed unable to stop, and she kept dancing until she collapsed from exhaustion. After resting for some time and being given refreshments by others in the market, she resumed her compulsive, frenzied activity. She continued this way for days. Can you 
So this woman just wakes up one morning, goes out to the street, and just starts dancing. No. And other people are like joining in, like, haha, this is so fun. They come around the next morning, they're like, Did she even leave? And no, she had been doing it all night long uh-huh. and came back or didn't and had never left and was still going. Um soon enough, others began to join her. Oh no. And then they found out that they couldn't stop either. (gasps) Within a week, more than 30 other people were similarly afflicted with this dancing illness. Oh, my goodness. They kept going long past the point of injury. So people were, like, rolling ankles and, like, falling down, you know, skin in their knees, stuff like that. And of course they're exhausted. Yes. So they're like, you know, just exhaustion and not having any energy left and dehydration, whatever, you know. But can you just imagine how wild this must be to if you are just a traveler and you come into Strasbourg? Yeah. And you see people just thrashing about to mm-hmm. no music right and you can tell that they're in pain and they can't stop uh-huh <gasps> witches it's terrifying mm. yeah <clears throat> um so then by august remember this started in what did i say june mm-hmm. july oh excuse me yes so over the course of a month the dancing epidemic had claimed as many as 400 victims. 400 people were dancing and they couldn't stop. 400 people dancing. How? Yeah. Oh. Mm hmm. And people, I, I hope that people think this is a joke mm-hmm. listening to this. Unfortunately, it is not. Yeah. It is very well documented. This is not a joke. I wish it were. Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> this is a real thing that happened. And not just here either. I'm going oh, to talk no. about that a little bit. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it had claimed as many as 400 victims by August. Mm-hmm. So, of course, with no other explanation for what's happening here, mm-hmm. the local doctors and physicians, they just were like, you know what? As they did in the day, they're like, you know what? Your blood has ghosts in it. Just go do some cocaine and you'll be fine, you know? Yes. So they're like, all right, what we have here is called hot blood. And what they have to do is dance more to get it out. Oh, God. You know? So just continue gyrating and this fever will go away. No. Yeah, this is a perfect idea. No, so, <laughs> I'm sorry, doctors, but you're wrong. So what they did was they constructed a stage and they brought in some professional dancers. Um, they even hired a band to provide backing music no. for these people because they thought, well, if everybody's dancing, maybe it's like when you get a song stuck in your head, mm. the best thing to do is to listen to it mm-hmm. and then you can move on. Yeah. So that's what they figured. Well, okay. let just let these people dance to some music and a little party, and then they can move on. Okay, I like the intent. Yep. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't long before this marathon started to take its toll on the people. Oh, no. 
many dancers were just collapsing from sheer exhaustion. Um, some people, unfortunately, even died from strokes and heart attacks. Oh, my god! Just because they're so tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. And crazy enough, this whole thing didn't end until September when the dancers were finally taken away to a mountaintop shrine to pray for absolution. Um, when they were they were like forced yeah. to not dance <laughs> and pray for some help. Good. Yeah. Because yeah. that's that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so. I know this story. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Fresca. Yep. Um, but this is still something that just absolutely. I boggles my mind. I yeah. cannot I cannot imagine it. Because again, it's not it's not just one person. Like it's almost like a shared psychosis of just like you yeah. are fully a do, yeah. Exactly. Like you just you have no control and if you want to stop you can't. Right. And oh, it's just so but I unfortunately I love that it is so well documented. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, we all know what like a flash mob is in the mall. Yeah. Where a bunch of people all of a sudden they just like storm the court, the food court, and someone's filming it, blast loud music, and they all do a number. Yeah. That's that's kind of what this is, but not the fun part uh-huh. when everyone is actually like in pain and mm-hmm. suffering. And but does they it for can't three stop dancing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So weirdly enough, this again, this was not the only time that this happened around the world. Um the fifteen eighteen event was the most thoroughly documented and probably the last of several such outbreaks in Europe. Sure. Um they took place mostly between like the tenth and sixteenth centuries, so quite a bit of time. Yeah. And they're kind of sparse, but Otherwise, the best known of these took place in 1374, and this one spread to several towns um, that laid along the Rhine River. Oh, fun. I love the concentration around France and Germany. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't I don't have too much other information on the exact yeah. um, like story itself like these instances and outbreak but what (laughs) like how do you how do you even begin to start processing this event well see the first thing that comes to my mind and this is this is again i have (laughs) i have no qualifications to say this but i i think of of salem yeah because just knowing about the geography of what you just said about Strasbourg and about uh, this occurring along the Rhine River, like Strasbourg mm-hmm. is a French city that borders Germany via a river. Yeah. And I just think about how many things can travel by water, how yeah. many things can be found in water sources. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder that, like, was there something maybe it's not you know the same things that kind of like produce hallucin hallucinogenic 
um, thoughts like we found in, in Massachusetts, but like, right. what if there was something that people were just, you know, ingesting daily and they didn't know they had no clue yeah. could do it, but it's just how, yeah, exactly. And how do so many people get it? Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing is it started with one person, mm-hmm. but then more people started to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let let me go through some like contemporary explanations mm, yes, for what please. was going on here. So, um, of course you have things where people are like, oh, they were possessed by demons and like the ghost blood. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like yeah, the the hot <laughs> blood, overheated blood, whatever wow. that means. Um. Uh, there's an American sociologist named Robert Bartholomew who said that possibly the dancers were um, adherents of like heretical sects of religion. Mm. Um, They were uh, dancing to attract some sort of divine favor from some God. Sure. You know, okay. um, Something like that. Um, There are a couple that are really big though. Mm -hmm. The first one I'm going to talk about is food poisoning. Oh my. So like you said, okay um some people believe that the dancing could have been brought on by food poisoning caused by the toxic and psychoactive chemical products of ergot fungi oh no which grows commonly on grains such as rye used for baking bread ergotamine is the main psychoactive product of ergot fungi it is structurally related to the drug lysergic acid diethylamide, which is LSD-25. Yep. And is the substance from which LSD-25 was originally synthesized. Hmm. The same fungus has also been implicated in other major historical anomalies, including, but not limited to, the Salem Witch Trials. Oops. Yes. Um, I will say, however, um, there is a man named John Waller. Um, he, um, I can't remember exactly what it is that he studies. I know it was, he's like a historical, like a behavior, historical behavioral analyst. Oh, cool. I don't really know how else to explain his, I don't remember his exact job title, but sure. I know that he works. He's like a historical behavioral analyst. That's really cool. Um, he basically argues that this theory does not seem viable since it is unlikely that those person poisoned by ergot could have danced for days at a time. Mm. Um, nor would so many people have reacted to its psychotropic chemicals in this, in the exact same way. Sure. Um, the ergotism theory also fails to explain why virtually every outbreak occurred somewhere along the Rhine and Mosse rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, these are areas linked by water, but with quite different climates and crop availability. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, so it's possible, but it, 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 of course, with everything in, in history, it's yeah. there's no good explanation. Yeah. Well, and that's a, I really like that, um, that criticism of it because mm-hmm. truthfully, um, 
I mean, when you think about it for all types of thing, whether it be caffeine, alcohol, drugs, my tolerance is not the same as yours by yeah, any exactly. means yeah. based on so many different factors. And so the fact that, that you said like four or 500 people yeah. were affected, I don't know if everybody who, let's say, ate or drank something, yeah, like how would everybody their response be dancing Mm -hmm. yeah so i I like that i like that challenge right and that's another thing too is like how did it start with one person yes and then spread among them yeah like i feel like if it was gonna happen it would happen to everybody all at once Mm kind of like it did in salem like everyone was beyond messed up because of that yeah but nobody knew it exactly but with this it's like everybody could see like oh yeah this one lady is just dancing yeah and then all of a sudden random other people start joining in yeah um the other big one is that a lot of people say could be what's known as stress-induced mass hysteria Mm. um so this is probably the most popular one um so again john waller says that such outbreaks take place um, of stress-induced mass hysteria. They take place under circumstances of extreme stress and generally take form based on current local fears. Mm. Um, In the case of this dancing plague, um, he comes back to a series of famines that had happened recently um, and the presence of such diseases as smallpox and syphilis as overwhelming stressors that were affecting the residents of Strasbourg. Um, He states further that there was a local belief that those who failed to propitiate um, St. Vitus, the patron saint of epileptics and of dancers, would be cursed by being forced to dance. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's a very specific saint. And I don't appreciate that one a whole lot. It's very, very specific saint. Saint. Wow. Okay. Yes. Huh. Yeah. I like that one though. Um. So yeah, this basically could have been an example of a psychogenic movement disorder happening in mass hysteria or mass psychogenic illness, Mm -hmm. which involved many individuals suddenly exhibiting the same bizarre behavior. Yeah. Um. It spreads rapidly and broadly, basically like in an epidemic pattern. This kind of comportment um, could have been caused by elevated levels of psychological stress, like we were talking about, Um, because there's a lot of, I mean, it's the early modern period. And of course, life is rough. Um, But like this was worse yeah you know like it was we we already think it's rough Mm -hmm. but this was harder you know so yeah yeah um yeah so because it was riddled with starvation and disease um the inhabitants tended to be superstitious Mm. um so again talking about that saint vitus um seven other cases of this dancing plague were reported in the same region during the medieval area or era mm-hmm. so this is happening kind of around the region um yeah so one final point is that kind of more explaining um i guess 
maybe the religious element of it or the spiritual element of it. Um, it could have created what's called a choria. Um, this is a Greek word meaning to dance, which mm-hmm. is like a situation comprising random and intricate unintentional movements that flit from body to body part. Um, so diverse choreas like, <coughs> excuse me, St. Vitus's dance, St. John's dance were labeled in the Middle Ages referring to the independent epidemics of dancing mania that happened in Central Europe, particularly at the time of the plague. So, I don't know. It seems like this dancing thing happened a lot more than should happen. Yeah. Like, there's so many other cases of this happening. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, was it real or was it like being faked? But then why would people just go so hard to where they would die from it? Yeah. That's the thing. Like if it, if it was a group of people who maybe like were indentured servants or slaves or children who don't want to go to school and you start dancing to get out of or to protest or to get out of work or to do something. Like if you are truly stressed, yeah. which I know they were, and maybe mm-hmm. like they're revolting against their local government or the king yeah. and queen, whatever it may be. Yeah. I get that. But doing it to the point where you are, you're dying. Yeah. That, I don't know that you would take it that far. Yeah. Or do you? I don't know. Oh, I mean, you still have to value your life somewhat. I mean, 400 people. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Um, it reminds me a little bit. Maybe I'll, I don't know that this would be another episode. Maybe it would be, but there was like a laughing yes. sickness that happened in Africa. I yes. think it was at like a, a primary school. Yeah. Yeah. Where like multiple regions of this same like area had this laughing plague. <sighs> where many schools ended up shutting down because of it and like the kids got sent away yes because they couldn't stop laughing in the middle of class but like it wasn't just like uh you know well timmy farted yeah Uh, or it was really funny like fits on the floor laughing yeah whole classrooms laughing fits on the floor like crazy and you know that laughing so hard when your stomach hurts does not feel good no so doing that prolonged yeah why would someone do that exactly so uh yeah i mean that's kind of all i have on this one legitimately i think it has something to do with the stress-induced mass hysteria yeah i like that a lot um you know maybe there's some food thing based on what uh john waller said it's hard Mm -hmm. to fathom that um because all the places where it happened all have such different climates and crops yeah i guess it's possible though you know if there's trade or something like that you know could be a combination yeah exactly Uh, and my lowly privileged 25 years of life Mm -hmm. i have done some very odd things when i'm incredibly stressed Mm -hmm. 
So I can't even imagine sharing that with my community, with my loved ones and being under the type of stress that they were constantly under to just survive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, yeah, oh, that's such a good story, Justin. Yeah. It's just weird. And it yes. kind of freaks me out. Yes. Cause imagine just you went to bed, you woke up in the morning and you couldn't stop dancing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. No, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's okay. that's all I got for you today. Okay. I was gonna make a Kevin Bacon joke, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel good, you know. No. no. Yeah. So we're gonna we're probably gonna, don't do that. We're gonna leave that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like that though. Um, I like when you tell me stories. That was a fun one. That was a really good um, one. Of course, it freaks me out as usual, but yeah, uh, it was interesting. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got any recommendations for me today? Um. Yeah, actually, I have oh. one very specific one. All right. Um, just recently on Spotify, I was directed towards a song that I had heard many times before, hmm. but I particularly enjoyed this time around. Um, it's by <laughs> two men. Don't. <laughs> called England Dan and John Ford Coley. <laughs> called i'd really love to see you tonight and that it's just such a fun song uh, that can never outstay it's welcome i absolutely agree justin and uh you know if you want to be serenaded by two glorious men Who also look- known as nicholas cage uh-huh. and vernon dursley vernon dursley yep. um you can't ask for more than this song so i don't know what it is about this song but everybody from from the moment i wake up Mm -hmm. i have this song stuck in my head and it's not one of those things where like it's annoying you know like every time it comes on i i just feel joyful Mm -hmm. it's pretty good there's a warm wind blowing the stars are out and justin I'd really love to see you tonight. Sorry, I'm going to bed. <laughs> okay, good night. <laughs> all right, what do you got? Um, I re- first of all, I really like that recommendation. I wasn't sure exactly where you were going with that, mm-hmm. um, but I appreciate that very much. Uh, mine is going to be uh, a roundabout crappy one that I'm really good at. But legitimately, please drink water. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you have access to clean drinking water, do it. Um, I am blessed to be surrounded by colleagues who uh, we do uh, biweekly meetings. No, mm-hmm. well, what are meetings that you do twice a week? Biweekly, bi-weekly? yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> sure, that sounds right. Because you know, it's like okay, I have meetings. Yeah, it's biweekly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Great. Otherwise, okay. it would be every other week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I never understand. Bi-weekly is right. Bi-weekly meetings. And oh, my coworkers, they check me, you know? Mm-hmm. We all start off, and I, I'm i not trying to say anything, but I'm the youngest in the group, and everybody is just like, oh, yeah, this morning I went for a five-mile run. I went for a walk with my partner, and I was like, oh, I woke up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> 
But the biggest yep. thing that we are all trying to do is we are trying to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those people where if I ever hear about someone else drinking water or if I see someone on the, on TV or in a movie, like drink a cup of water, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I should do that. Well, you just talking about it right now is making me thirsty. Exactly. So. Yep. Exactly. So quench your thirst, quench your soul, drink some water, do the thing, clear some acne, do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Drink some water. I love it. And, While uh, you're listening to England, Dan, and John Ford Coley. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect. Um, yeah. And if you have um, ghosts in your blood, please don't do cocaine. But no, Don't you know. do cocaine about it. <laughs> Dance. Dance. To England, Dan. No, stop. No. Great. All <laughs> no. right. Well, I, Sorry, think that's our, I think that's our sign. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, stay spooky. Stay safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.